Hello, hello, welcome to the Palva Show. Today, my guest is Dalton Brown. Dalton and I have become pretty good friends over the past few months, so I thought I'd have him on the show to discuss ego, humility, and honest feedback. Dalton is a creative, polymath, athlete, and entrepreneur. He is committed to helping others access freedom, clarity, and vitality as a means of personal evolution. You can find his podcast on daltonspeaks.com. Welcome, Dalton. Hello, Phoebe. I'm so happy to be here. Thank you for having me. <laughs> um, Dalton, so I've got questions. <laughs> How would you define ego? Ego is an interesting topic because depending on what school of thought you follow, like Jungian psychology, Freudian psychology, anthroposophy, whatever, they're going to have slightly different delineations. But myself personally, in my vernacular, the way I teach it usually is if you imagine music or you imagine a rainbow, there's a scale, right? Red, orange, yellow, green, blue, indigo, violet, A, B, C, D, E, F, G, and it repeats in octaves. And I believe the ego can be conceptualized as sort of one of those notes of the scale, one of those colors of the rainbow. It's a particular resonant frequency in the scale of consciousness. So it's not the entirety of who you are. It's the aspect of you which makes stories and interpretations based in language and time about who you are. So that might have been a little bit too much in the first two seconds of the podcast, but yeah, it's, it's not who you are. It's your interpretation, your thoughts about who you are. That really, okay, so I have questions. So you said it makes <laughs> stories. I'm sorry. No, no. <laughs> so it, you say it makes stories. So I, I find that my ego and my mind collude together to make stories. Like my ego eggs my mind on. And then my mind's yeah. like, yeah, yeah, that's right. You're totally right. <laughs> You're totally right. You're in the right. You should go after that person like that. And then, like, that's my ego. <laughs> <laughs> um it's and on the opposite end of that same spectrum my ego is like oh you're the worst you should feel mm. really bad about what you've done uh, and so how do you balance that spectrum out because for me it's like humility is the elixir of the ego mm. uh, and so for me it's I try to cultivate humility but I'd like to know how you, what's your process like? There was a lot right there. First of all, that was total bars. The, the humility is the elixir of the ego. That was beautiful. I'm going to steal that for something. <laughs> um, wow, that was really potent. I feel like there was like 10 different ways my brain wanted to go with that. But your question was, how do I deal with balancing the ego along with the other aspects of my psyche in my life? Is that right? Uh, yes. And, you know, go 10 different ways with that, if you'd like. <laughs> go for I it. guess one of the things that came up in me, which might guide answering this question, is in the way you asked your question, you conceptualized the ego and the mind as being two separate things. Can we delineate exactly what the difference is between them? Hmm. Hmm. So my mind is like, I can feel the energy in my mind. It does make up stories. My ego is like, it's like the friend that eggs you on. It's not really, it's not that great of a friend. So just to check to see if I'm understanding you properly, would it be accurate to say that the mind is a little bit more 
mental world a little bit more thought oriented whereas the ego in the way that you're articulating it is more emotional more okay. powerful more pushing yes interesting yeah um i think the way i balance it recently and I've, this is only something i've started really focusing on the last few weeks few months is by checking in with my state and by trying to change that first so rather than trying to think my way out of like egoic actions or trying to you know change my habits i'm trying to change the base level state of who i am the base assumptions i make and the way that i show up in every way of life so you know some people might refer to raising your vibration or changing your frequency i don't think it's quite as simple as just being positive but um actively seeking out the junk in my mind that's holding me back, the fear-based uh, reactions, the instincts, uh, piecing out like my own narrative about why this person offended me. It's not they made me mad, it's they did something, an objective thing happened. And somehow in the way that I interpreted it, it brought up this emotion. And so again, this is a little bit all over the place, I apologize, but I guess the key for me to understanding my ego and to balancing it is becoming the observer of my emotions rather than the victim of them. I think emotions are kind of the key to understanding yourself and the way you're relating to life. Yes, I love that you said that because like there are two things that you said that really resonate. So taking offense, it's like that's usually when I feel offended, which honestly I I've uh cultivated my consciousness enough to be like okay these are just feelings those they're not who I am um uh but in the past when I have felt offended part of that process of getting to the point where I am now is realizing the reason I feel offense is because there's truth truth to that statement and my ego is trying to tell me the opposite yeah yeah um I forget who to attribute the quote to but you see in others that which you are yourself. And we spoke recently in a private conversation about solipsism, the idea that you are the world, your experience is the experience. And the role that everyone else plays, whether they are a true separate being or they are manifestations of the one mind or your mind or whatever you know mysticism you want to get into there, whatever, however you want to conceptualize it, Regardless of what mechanism is at place, the circumstances, the people around you in your life are revealing where you're still constrained. Wherever you're still constrained within your ego, whatever stories you're telling yourself, you're going to continue to run into circumstances that reveal and inflame that constraint over and over again until you get it, until you break free. If you don't love yourself, you're going to keep getting into relationships with people that don't fully, truly love themselves or love you. But then once you're free to love yourself and you give up on, you know, maybe I don't even need a relationship. I'd be totally happy either way. That's when you find the really fulfilling relationship. So yeah, life's right. crazy. Right. I've noticed. So the second thing that, that came to mind was taking the observer role with yourself and with others and with others realizing, yeah. okay, meeting people where they're at and realizing, okay, so there's little universes going on inside all of us. And you can't necessarily see that. But in a lot of ways, you can feel that. 
especially when you start taking the observer role, was, I've noticed that I can start feeling people's energies mm. all around, like even without them saying anything. Yeah. Um, that's beautiful. It's a really good sign that you're really doing the work and making some progress with it. That's amazing. Dude, meditation changed my life, but I'm yeah, not right? going to get into that. <laughs> like, <laughs> I feel like I go around preaching that all the time. <laughs> uh, but okay, so how do ego and humility play a role when receiving honest feedback? Because so many times, like I love receiving honest feedback and we've done this exercise between <laughs> each other where it's like, okay, go roast me. And yeah. I, I love it. I love being like, yeah, poke me a little, bro. Like, so that I yeah. can see where, what exactly it is that I, I need to work on or would like to work on rather. Yeah. You don't need to do anything. Nice catch. Nice catch. That's really good. <laughs> so like, how have you, have you always been okay with taking honest feedback or is that something you've kind of a skill you've cultivated over time? It's interesting to reflect back in the past because I try to be really cautious about forming particular narratives about how I came to be a certain way or something because it's only one perspective and I'm sort of clinging to particular memories, particular emotions through time to form that story. So I'm not certain if I've always been this way or whatever, but I know in high school, at least, I heard a story through my strength training and conditioning coach, which was, it, it was about the way lobsters shed their exoskeletons and regrow them. They, to, to shorten it, the exoskeleton has some space between their actual flesh and their shell. And when they fill their shell all the way, they get super stressed out and they go and they scuttle under a rock and they shed their skin and then they grow a new one. They grow a new shell. And now this one has more space and more room to grow. And then they grow all the way and then they get super, super stressed out and they shed it and it repeats. So at least ever since high school, I've been fascinated with stress and trying like using stress as an indicator that, oh, this is the boundary of my shell. This is the boundary of where I'm out of alignment with what is, with what I'm capable of becoming, with my limitless potential. And so your question was about, remind me one more time. How you've cultivated <laughs> the skill of receiving honest feedback and gotten yourself to a point where you're like, yeah, roast me, go for it. Yeah, that, that was, thank you. The, that understanding in high school has sort of led to me getting to that point. Um, the idea that, oh, if I'm stressed out, that's a sign that I'm growing. So if somebody offends me, that's not a sign that, you know, there's an objective property in reality, which is being offended. It's there's a subjective story within me, which is relating to the circumstance and causing me to be offended, causing me to be stressed out. So I suppose the simplest way to answer your question is it's just a conceptual understanding that I've practiced for a long time. And now it's kind of a fun game. It's like, well, I'm really pissed off. This is crazy. Like what's going on inside me that's getting me to be pissed off. It's almost like a game, like hide and seek with yourself of like, where am I still hidden? How can I free myself? It's pretty fun. What about you? How have, how have you sort of learned these lessons? Um, okay. I'd like to share two stories, both in which 
Okay, so one story is a mentor of mine. I'm really close with him. We've known each other for 10 plus years. And at this point, we're basically colleagues. And we still do regular calls. Uh, He's in Florida. He teaches at the University of Florida. So we still do regular calls. And one day, I just, the entire hour, I I don't know, it was just stream of consciousness. And at the end of it, he goes, so Palvache, you just rambled for an hour today. (laughs) (laughs) And then he hung up. And after his 30 minutes, for 30 minutes afterwards, I was like, oh no, I let this person down. And like, uh, I hope he doesn't think worse of me and stuff. And that I think was my ego. And then I was like, no, no. Okay, fine. You've been humbled a little. Um, But that's okay. That's okay. Moving on. <laughs> then next time I will be. And since then, what great feedback. Because since then, I have chosen my words very carefully. <laughs> and I speak with intention. Yes, uh, especially when I'm speaking to him, he's like, you know, raises the bar for me. Yeah. And I've actually transferred that to other people. Now saying that to other people, <laughs> I haven't because I, I worry that people's feelings might get hurt, for example. Yeah. Another story. So and this story I'd like to share because you said when people offend us, whereas I'd like to change that narrative to when we get offended. Yes, absolutely. Right? Thank you for catching so, that. Um, when, there was one story where I was sitting at a table with a group of people and someone said, oh yes, uh, PV eats like a little rabbit. And someone else at the table said, that's a dark rabbit. <laughs> oh. And in that moment, <laughs> I just laughed. I was like, yep. <laughs> I could have chosen to get offended. Yeah. You have to remember that like the context, this person is older, they've lived a different life in a completely mm. different place. It is what it is. Moving on. I can choose to get offended and make this whole deal out of it. Or I could be like, yep, I'm a brown rabbit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like, cause life is funny. Like absolutely. Things don't have to be so stressful. Yeah, I completely agree. And so there's this fascinating duality of like, what's the approach to get to that state where you can just laugh at yourself? Is it, you know, is it a mental game? Is it an emotional game? Is it like an energetic game? And it seems like there's a lot of different tactics and a lot of different approaches. But would you say there's anything specific that you've done or thought about or an experience you had or something that has brought you to the place where you can just laugh at that I like how you're interviewing me for the beginning. <laughs> <laughs> um you know I used to take myself really seriously it's like yes I'm so serious I know everything and like life yeah. not seriously enough and I just sh- shifted that narrative where I don't take myself that seriously at all at all yeah. but I take life pretty seriously Um, When it comes to cultivating relationships, I'm pretty serious about that. That's no joke. Like, I don't like wishy-washy relationships. But then I think we're getting into the realm of boundaries, right? So, but to like go back to how I've been able to cultivate humility in a sense, basically, to like keep myself at bay. That's why I don't take myself so seriously. I just, I, 
I laugh things off. I laugh things off. You know, when um, I talk about my life very openly, I'm like, mm-hmm. oh yeah, shit. I used to be an alcoholic, you know, he, 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 whoopsie daisies. <laughs> <laughs> you wouldn't be the beautiful person you are now if you didn't go through that experience though. It was a necessary part of the journey, which is insane. Right. And so like when people say things to us, we can choose to just like absorb it and think that like, oh, my feelings, they hurt my feelings. Right. They hurt my feelings and like, fuck that person. And, you know, (laughs) that person doesn't know what they're talking about. And in that moment, we don't realize that's the ego. Yeah. Like, that's the ego and then like the mind's like yeah yeah fuck that person they don't know what they're talking about (laughs) (laughs) yeah that's the stories that's the the narrative that gets all subconsciously made up and there's no judgment on that you know like Mm -hmm. the ego acts in that way but I think the degree to which we judge it and try to avoid it is the degree to which we're kind of a slave to it Whereas if we recognize and accept and investigate and integrate and non-identify with all of those things, then all of a sudden we have this like freedom of the creative energy. Like when you were insulted, there was a charge of energy within you. That energy could have been directed towards anger or you directed it towards laughter. It's like either way, the, the, the way the ego relates to circumstance when it generates emotion, it generates energy. And so the ego becomes this like beautiful tool of like generating energy. And then you can use your awareness to direct it with humility, for example, since we're getting a little off topic on and off of humility. No, that's okay. um, <laughs> I think when somebody say compliments you, that has a tendency, generally speaking, to inflate one's ego, to confirm a story, to um, validate you. Whereas exercising humility is taking that energy and like pushing it back into the world and being like, yeah, maybe I'm pretty cool, but like all of my energy, all of my love, all of my skill is trying to be of service is trying to be loving towards others. And so, yeah, I think humility is energetically like a gentle, like pushback, like uh, a give and a take kind of like sex or like wrestling or a game or play or improv or anything like that any of these flow states humility feels to me energetically very similar so i mean yeah in those moments like that is how i've cultivated humility when like instead of getting offended i'm like okay i might be feeling this way because there's truth to that statement and i don't want to admit Mm. it you know (laughs) In fact, my ego doesn't want to admit it. My ego is really what, the, the guy inside me because <laughs> it's not a girl. <laughs> <laughs> the guy inside me who doesn't really want to admit it. Yeah. Because if it does admit it, what happens? Then I'm wrong. And then, well, because it's trying to protect itself. Right. Because if it's wrong, it dies. It has to validate its own stories. And so (laughs) like the fundamental, like subconscious energy of your body is always trying to confirm its own stories, trying to prove itself right, which is really like 
childlike in a childlike way it's kind of beautiful and hilarious and adorable but it manifests in all these really gross ways of you know selfishness and fighting and in extreme cases very serious circumstances for anybody abuse and addiction and whatnot but energetically it's like it's making up this story about how it's inadequate and then it's trying to avoid the story that it made up itself it's like running in circles, chasing its own tail, trying to prove itself right about something that's fundamentally out of alignment with reality, which is, I don't know, it's an interesting place to be as a human being. Yeah. Dude, I look at depictions of the Buddha and that dude is like always, always has a smirk on his face and I'm starting <laughs> to understand why. Because like <laughs> <Yeah>. everything's funny, <laughs> like, things are funny. <laughs> But you said something that really sparked a thought in me. You said, because then the ego dies. And that makes me think like, so our fear of death itself, is that the ego? Yeah, I think so. I, I'm not in a position to authoritatively declare that, but given my experiences and studies, it seems to be the case because Let's, let's just suppose, hypothetically, um, for the sake of this discourse, that we are eternal souls and at death, we don't actually die, we continue. So under that model, using that framework, when we die and pass on to whatever's next, the only thing that's actually dying is the ego. So the only thing that exists that can generate a fear of death is the ego. Because once you go beyond the ego, why would you be afraid to die? You're still there. Um, which brings up an experience I just had this last night while I was dreaming. Um, I was passing in and out of these lucid dreams like over and over again and all kinds of different situations of varying levels of like control of the environment and of the circumstances. And I woke up laying in bed on my back and then I thought I wasn't asleep, but I was thinking about what was going on in that dream. And I was trying to deduce like, okay, so if there's, how was I relating to these subconscious elements of my, of my dream? What does that mean about me? What was I learning? And as I was thinking about all of that, I, I sleep with a heavy weighted blanket and the blanket like was pulled off of me while I was laying in bed. Um, which is when I, I couldn't tell if I was dreaming or not, but my blanket got pulled off of me. And a voice, I think it was my voice, but I wasn't certain because it didn't feel like it was coming at me. It felt like it was coming from me. It asked, who do you think Dalton is? And then there was just this huge rush of energy and there was no words, but I could tell that the answer energetically felt like limitless potential, freedom, nothing and everything like at the same time. And I just had this like massive rush of energy upwards and I felt like I was flying. Um, which then was when I realized I was actually dreaming, but I was like dreaming that I was in my bed in the exact position that my actual body was in. And it was like this weird pseudo hallucination, which, you know, we could go into a lot of different discussions about what dreaming is, but dude, like what part of me was it that told me to question what Dalton is as the ego? You know what I'm saying? Like what the hell was that? <laughs> damn that's a rich dream that's that's really awesome though that like so 
let's let's touch on dreams really quick. <laughs> okay, sorry. No, no, that's okay because I'm a pretty vivid dreamer as well. At lucid dreaming, I've actually been doing that since ten years old, um, and so now it's like my dreams are just. I mean, I'll give you an example of a dream that I had where there was like a huge tsunami, like my sister was playing in the water and I was like, there's going to be a tsunami. And I, I knew there was going to be a tsunami based off of a memory from a previous dream within my dream. So yeah. like I was technically lucidly dreaming. And so then a huge tsunami came and I pulled her and like I took her into under a glass awning and we saw all the other people in the water, like their bodies were slamming against the glass awning between waves. Uh, we slid into this room and it was a sand maze with this like <laughs> Egyptian God with a jackal head and there were lions everywhere. And I was like, okay, easy does it. Let's let me assess the situation for my sister panicked and she started running around the maze and the lions started getting agitated and the, um, the jackal head god was like, what are you guys doing? You guys are agitating my lines. And he put his staff into the ground and he froze time. Uh, and so like, yeah, I have crazy dreams like that too. And I'm like, okay, wait. So I have That's memories cool. of previous dreams within my dreams. And then, you know, ancient gods stopping time. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like dream life is so underappreciated in our modern, like, general culture. I've heard that, like, in, for example, Egypt, where the Anubis that you're referencing was from, okay. it, it was, like, an extremely important part of their general life to, like, access dreams and to think about their dreams and to live in their dreams. It was half of, or one third of their life, whereas in the Western culture nowadays, we almost never really talk about it. It's just, like, some some woo-woo hallucinations that your brain's making weird signals, who cares? But like the idea that you can learn something that you didn't know about yourself or about the world through a dream should just, if you really think about that, that should completely shatter everyone's minds. Like your conception of the way that reality works in the fact that like your direct experience can generate itself and teach you things. That's insane. That's insane. So like, I want to tie it back to ego really quick because in dreamland, I, the, and you said, you know, what part of me was telling me to question me. <laughs> um, and so in dreamland, I feel like my ego doesn't necessarily exist in a way. It's part of why, like, you know, I'm so open to all of the experiences that are happening because my ego is not trying to survive. And I notice in like in my dreams too, like, hmm, when someone says something to me, I don't necessarily have like feelings about it in a way. Mm -hmm. Like my ego's not trying to protect itself. Oh shit. Yeah. Okay, yeah, I'm having revelations. I'm gonna journal about this after this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I I've never really thought about it in this way, but now that we're having this conversation, it comes up. I almost feel like dreams are like a testing ground for like the higher aspects of your awareness to test the lower aspects to see like, okay, where are you at right now? 
I have a particular memory that comes up of a dream where someone held me at gunpoint and I just smiled at him and was like, are you okay? And like had a conversation with him and hugged him and was like, this, it's going to be all right, man. Like I know you're going through a lot and like energetically just being in that place in my dream in that, even in that situation initiated like an almost psychedelic experience within the dream. Um, which is difficult to describe and I won't even attempt, but yeah, it almost feels like things like that come up in dreams as a means of like seeing how you respond to different circumstances and life itself is like an extension of that. How do you respond in different circumstances? Well, it's occurring to me, I'm sorry, go go ahead. ahead. Oh, it's occurring to me that dreams are like, they're the most honest feedback you can possibly get. (laughs) yeah yeah and not always in a direct way sometimes it's like in things that show up you can ask yourself like why why was that what was shown to me yeah it's really fascinating I have a sort of tangential question bringing us slightly towards the initial um, topics the ego and judgment is sort of related to um, humility and what's coming up in me right now is judgment as a as a force it seems like it can be directed in positive or in negative ways for example even when i say something like oh that's great or that's really cool that's still a judgment right so do you feel like the ego or expanding our awareness beyond just the ego do you think it's related to non-judgment or do you think it can be done through positive judgment or do you see any relationship there or any conflict judgments that's an interesting one because judgments i feel like are neither good nor bad and in many ways judgments can serve us as well like my judgment of you is what has allowed me to ask you to come on the show because i've made the judgment that we align for Mm. example and that is serving both us and the listeners in a way uh but then there are judgments that are like, oh, that person doesn't know what they're talking about. Mm-hmm. And it's like, where is that coming from? Like, is that the narrative or is that like, so understanding, okay, maybe that person is having difficulty perhaps articulating what they actually think, but not necessarily, they don't know what they're talking about. To so be like more precise with how we communicate with ourselves, really. Yeah. You are saying it in that way brought up a distinction in my mind, which I had never really thought about very much, which is, let me know if you think this is even a true distinction or not. The distinction between judgment and discernment, judgment being you're trying to like ascribe something, a characteristic, this is good, this is bad, this person is rude, this person is beautiful, whatever. Whereas discernment is like creating associations independently of your judgment of them. But I don't even know if that's possible. You know what I'm trying to say? Hmm. Like this ladder is longer than this ladder. This tree is taller than this tree. This person is more this than this. It's not like a subjective, like, this is good and bad. This is evil. This is good. It's like a, 
a more objective quality? I'm not sure. So I do like questioning stuff like that because the fact of the matter is that our paleolithic hardwiring prevents our aperture from seeing what's actually going on. So do we really know one tree is taller than the other or is it that we (laughs) see it that way? (laughs) You're getting into like really metaphysical questions at the root of what you're asking right now. (laughs) I mean, well, I mean, you brought it up. You used the example. (laughs) So like in that way, I do like questioning myself. It keeps me humble. And, you know, people are like, oh, you know, you're so out there. It's like, actually, those kinds of questions keep me grounded. Realizing that we actually don't know what's going on at all. (laughs) We actually don't know what's going on at all. Yeah. Yeah. Go ahead. The only thing I trust of of like what's going on is my intuition. I don't want to say it's the only thing, but it's one of the things I trust the most because it's like my intuition, like is the same thing that allows me to feel people's energies without them having to say anything. Mm -hmm. Where does intuition come from? Raises a whole nother tangent of thoughts. Yeah. Hmm. yeah and like, you and I that... had this conversation as well like at what point is it ego versus intuition <laughs> yeah yeah that too but just the idea just like in dreams how you can learn things about yourself that you didn't know through intuition you gain access to a level of knowing which goes beyond logic which goes beyond reason which goes beyond space and time like it, it really encourages you to reconsider what it means to say I am or I do or I have because what is the I that can intuit? What is the I that gives you the information that you intuit, right? What is the I that dreams versus the I that generates all of the the subconscious or conscious elements of the dream? It, yeah, it's, it's a bizarre question to ask. Like, are you PV? Am I Dalton? Hmm, No, that PV is... (laughs) the name given to this body and personality. Um, I don't like identifying with my personality either. Uh, Mm -hmm. It's my personality is an extension of who I am. It's like this thing that I've cultivated over time is who I am as I am this being like, I know there's this famous quote that says, I think therefore I am. And I just, that doesn't resonate at all. For me, it's like, I be therefore I am. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think energetically and conceptually, we fully agree, but there's like subtle distinctions in words that are interesting. Like you just delineated being and thinking, whereas so far as our direct experience is concerned, it's pretty rare that we can actually divorce the two. Um, Can you divorce the two? I suppose it depends on how you define thinking and how you define being. Maybe we'd be getting into into (laughs) useless delineations, but you know, it brings up the question, is there a difference between a thought and the thinker between the feeling and the feeler between the being and the, the beer, the being, you know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. The being as an action versus the one that is. Um, Mm -hmm. And likewise, I talk about this in my series of podcasts on the ego on my own show, but um, just like, 
you can't separate a tree. I'm looking at my window. Sorry. You can't separate a tree from the ground, from the air, from the sun, from the bugs, from the mycelia in the soil, from the bacteria. It's all one singular process. You can't separate your heart from your lungs, from your blood, from your brain. We, in thinking, we can separate them out because that's what thinking does. It uses duality to say, this is this, and this is this, and this is this, when really it's one singular process that happens together. Likewise, I think being implies ego. Like the ego is not necessarily literally separate from the mind, from your higher self, from your subconscious, from your unconscious. It's just one frequency, one aspect of the mutually arising process, which is being. And when we tune into that lower frequency, that's the one that we're more present with. Does that, do you think any of that was valid or invalid? Or I kind of just ranted to try to throw a few like concepts at you to see if <laughs> they click or not. Because I'm so trying to, I'm still trying to see if this even makes sense or if it's true or not. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm trying to make sense of it myself. You put me on the spot. You're like, is that, <laughs> does that make sense? I'm like, I'm not sure. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I don't necessarily think that that's the model of the universe. But <laughs> I'm trying to figure out my own conceptions. And so yeah. I like to try to bounce them off people to see if they're like, oh, I don't know about that. Hmm. I, I need more time to absorb that one. That's a meditation <laughs> question. Yeah. yeah. And then we will definitely have a discussion about this next week. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Dalton. Um, if people want to find out about more of what you're doing, where can they find you? I'll have likely some more things coming out in the future. So far as Dalton is concerned in this type of content, daltonspeaks.com um, has a link to my coaching website, but daltonspeaks.com or daltonspeaks at Instagram. So on Instagram, at daltonspeaks on Instagram. There you go. That's, that's how social media works. <laughs> okay. That's a, a true sign of you not using social media. <laughs> and I love that about you. <laughs> All right, well, thank you so much for coming on my show and really having some thought-provoking conversation. I hope people get a lot out of this as much as I've gotten out of this. Thank you so much for having me. I apologize for the just completely tangential discussions that happened, but hopefully it was valuable to at least one person, yeah, if not no, just you it. and I. <laughs> All right.